I get to introduce our speaker, uh, Roger Hoffman. That was my maiden name because Roger Hoffman is my dad. Um, and I'm going to introduce him. Uh, so <clears throat> Roger was born in Graham, Texas, uh, and moved to the Bay Area with his family. His dad was in construction for his entire life. Um, and so they kind of, dad, went to school between Southern California and the Bay Area uh, because his, da his dad moved around doing construction. Roger's the oldest of five kids, so there were all the kids in tow. And um, went to Chico State, was going to be an English teacher, and felt a call to ministry. Um, and so he... Uh, graduated from college. He'd gone to Chico State um, on a gymnastics scholarship. Little known fact. Um, and, uh, and felt a call to ministry. And so he went on to get his MDiv at Golden Gate Baptist Seminary uh, in the Bay Area at a time when the hippie movement was happening and uh, the Jesus people thing was happening and revival was breaking out. And I grew up on stories of uh, the pastors at different churches getting together and all-night prayer meetings um, at the Catholic Church and everybody worshiping together, Baptists, Methodists, uh, the Catholic community, um, and kids just coming in droves who had kind of dropped out of the bottom of the hippie movement. Um, these guys started a Bible study. Uh, my dad and his best friend from college uh, were part of the start of that Bible study, and then these really pretty sisters showed up, and within a year, they were marrying those sisters. Those best friends were marrying those sisters in a double wedding, um, and also starting a church. That church was Church of the Open Door in San Rafael, and from that church, my parents were launched to uh, the UK, to London, uh, with a toddler in tow, um, and spent seven and a half years ministry in London, uh, networking, connecting. Um, to this day, uh, I go back to visit the UK, and we have the equivalent of family there, just sweet, good people who love Jesus. Uh, my parents returned to the Bay Area and ministered there, for another eight years, then went back to the UK and ministered there for another seven years. Um, and so it has been uh, my privilege to be a part of seeing what ministry looks like. Was not always easy. We've had some really tough conversations around the table about what they got wrong. Um, but the example of faithfulness to one another and to the call that God had placed on their lives is unmistakable and irreplaceable. And so it's my privilege this morning to introduce my dad, Roger Hoffman, who is going to share what God's put on his heart um, in our ongoing series of intentions from the book of Mark. Well, I was going to wear proper uh, preacher attire, that is skinny jeans, t-shirt, and <clears throat> bright trainers, but uh, decided that wasn't really me, so I'll just stick with what's me. Um, 
Thank you, Jerusha, for that introduction. That's probably TMI, but uh, anyway, thank you. Uh, we're looking, oh, before I get started in the sermon, I just wanted to thank Russ for inviting me to preach in his absence while he's on sabbatical. And I also wanted to thank uh, John Pell for switching dates with me uh, to accommodate my schedule. Uh, the date I was originally given wasn't working out for me, and John was willing to switch dates. So thank you, John. We are looking at uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 45 through 56 today. Uh, which will flash up there eventually, uh, not just yet, but because uh, we're not there yet. But uh, backing up a little bit uh, in the book of Mark to chapter 5, this has been an incredibly busy time for Jesus and the apostles. Uh, Jesus has reached celebrity status by this time, and the crowds follow him pressing in on him everywhere he goes all the time. And uh, we're going to see this. But in Mark chapter 5, <clears throat> I want you to see how busy these guys are. Uh, in Mark chapter 5, Legion the demoniac is delivered and healed. A woman is healed by touching the hem of Jesus' garment. Jairus' daughter is brought back to life. Pardon me, then in chapter 6, the 12 were sent out by Jesus to the villages in the surrounding area to preach the gospel, cast out demons, and heal the sick. And in the midst of all that, John the Baptist is beheaded. So things are amping up, you know, once people start to die for the cause, uh, it starts to get intense. And this, uh, then in Mark chapter 6, the first part of the chapter, uh, the apostles are uh, gathered to Jesus. Uh, they've come back from their mission out into the villages. And so they come back and they start telling Jesus uh, all that they had done and all that they had seen happen. The deliverances, the healings, the crowds, and, um, and it says, and I want the first uh, slide to flash up there. It says, and Jesus said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. You know, we all need rest. Busyness creates a scenario where you have to have a break from it. You cannot just stay busy forever. <clears throat> and so uh, they tried to escape uh, to a desert, a deserted place. I want, I want you to see this. Jesus says, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. Uh, and they try to do this. So they get in the boat and they're headed toward this deserted place. But somehow the crowd 
finds out where they're headed, and the crowd runs ahead of them and is there when they get there. And this sets up the scene where Jesus feeds the 5,000. Now, imagine this, a deserted place out in the middle of nowhere, and the crowds have already gathered. The, the disciples are going there, Jesus and the disciples are going there to rest. And when they get there, what do they find? At least 5,000 people gathered waiting for them. So what does Jesus do? He teaches all day. And then it comes evening. They haven't had anything to eat. So this is the story of the feeding of the 5,000. You know, the uh, five loaves and three fish or whatever it is that the little boy had. And, uh, and this, is, this is where that story comes from. But you have to keep in mind, these guys are trying to get away to rest. Uh, so obviously, uh, they have had no solitude or rest. Uh, and Jesus and the disciples must be exhausted by now. They were already tired before they went to this deserted place. And then they taught all day, fed the 5,000. And so now they're exhausted. Now, I don't know about you. Uh, I, I suspect some of you feel exhausted even as you're listening to me preach. Um, we, we all live very busy lives, don't we? Have you ever been overwhelmed with commitments, busyness, and stress? Maybe that's the season you're in right now. Whether you're a student trying to get ready for exams or writing that doctoral thesis or whether you're, you run a business and you work all day and then come home and you've got to do books and follow up and whatever. Uh, it just seems relentless. And then if you're raising a family, uh, kids are relentless. <laughs> and uh, we raised five and we've got 11 grandkids. And I, I know what it's like to live in a household with kids. Uh, you know, they're wonderful and they're full of energy and they're creative and they're excited about life. But it can be pretty tiring for the parents uh, as well. So, um, you know, we just, maybe that's the season you're in. Maybe you are in a season of, uh, of tiredness, of exhaustion, of busyness. Maybe you need rest. Going back a number of years, I was pastoring a church in San Francisco. I'd been invited to uh, come in and try to salvage a church that was in deep crisis. The church, uh, the church leadership had gotten into crisis and the, and the leadership left moved to Arizona and, uh, and just to basically abandon the church. And uh, another guy came in for a while, but he was only on an interim basis. And they had asked me to come in 
to pastor the church and see if I could salvage the church. And the way I pictured my mission, the church was built on a poor foundation. Essentially, I'll tell you, the, the church was essentially a cult. It had gotten just developed in that direction. And it was very unhealthy. And they were asking me to see if I could come in, salvage it, and make it healthy. So the way I pictured my uh, mission was to jack the church up, jackhammer the foundation out from under it, pour a new foundation, and lower the church back down on a proper, good foundation. Now, I'm not, not talking about a physical structure here. This is just a, an analogy of the way I pictured dealing with that congregation. I was trying to get them back to basics and relay a firm foundation for that church. Well, I won't go into details, but I spent eight years with that church. And when I left, uh, I was in burnout. Now, I didn't know what burnout was. I'd never heard of burnout. And I didn't realize even that I was in burnout. But we went to Austin, Texas from San Francisco to rest. Well, when I got to Austin... Uh, I found out that wasn't perhaps the best move to make for me uh, because I had no job, so I was totally in job search mode. And I found out that a pastor that is not pastoring isn't really qualified to do anything else. Anybody been in that boat before? I didn't realize, I thought I had transferable skills, but no. And, uh, and so I ended up working at Kmart in their electronics department, uh, just to tell you where I ended up. But uh, it was a very difficult time. I kind of went from the frying pan into the fire, and I was already in burnout, okay? And... I don't know if you've ever been in burnout. It's not a happy place. Uh, everything is difficult. It's a little bit like depression. But I was myopic. I, could, I had very tunnel vision. And I was trying to make decisions. But you know to make a good decision, you have to, you have to see the broad picture and take in a lot of uh, variables. Now, you do this naturally if you're healthy and you don't think about it. You just take in a lot of information and on that basis of that information, you make a wise decision. But if you lack the ability to take in that information and you've got a kind of tunnel vision, you end up making decisions that are not wise. And I made a few decisions in Austin that were not wise because I was in burnout. I didn't have the capacity to analyze the situation the way I needed to and, and make a good decision. So anyway, I went kind of from the frying pan into the fire and it got worse. And in the middle of all of that, I was diagnosed with cancer. <laughs> so it went from bad to worse now to worse. 
second degree worse. So I know what it's like, I'm just saying, I know what it's like to be exhausted, to be in burnout, and to need rest. Uh, and just a reminder, Jesus said to come unto him and he would give us rest. Our real rest is found in Jesus. That's not my sermon today. That's the whole sermon in itself. But find your rest in Jesus. There is a great podcast by Sandra Dalton Smith, who is a MD. She has a TED Talk podcast uh, about rest, about the seven kinds of rest. And that's, these, these are the seven up here. Uh, physical rest, mental rest, sensory rest, creative rest, emotional rest, social rest, and spiritual rest. Just to comment on a couple of these, uh, physical rest, well, we know what that's like to be physically tired and need to, you know, get a good night's rest, good night's sleep. Not everybody sleeps well at night. Am I the only one that wakes up in the night multiple times? Probably not. But um, I tell you, I think it seems to be a syndrome of people getting older uh, that I don't, I don't sleep as well as I used to. And not for any discernible reason. I just don't. Uh, but anyway, uh, physical rest is more than just getting, um, getting a good night's sleep. We need to take care of our physical bodies. Sometimes a good workout or a walk, a walk alongside the river is part of that physical rest that you need. Uh, also, mental rest. Uh, we need rest from problem solving and decision making. Sensory rest is more than just getting away from screens, but uh, the busyness and chaos around us, music, even ambient noise like uh, traffic noise. We need a break from all of that because all this is bombarding our senses all the time. She talks about creative rest because especially if you're in a job where you have to come up with creative solutions uh, to, to problems, uh, you, you cannot generate the creativity without the building blocks of that creativity. And so sometimes you need to get away enough to uh, expose yourself to those things which make you creative. It might be art, it might be music, it might be um, nature, uh, whatever it is that ministers to you in your creative place that regenerates that for you so that you can then create creatively, you know, creative output. But you need to regenerate that inside. Anyway, this is a great podcast. This isn't my sermon either. So I, I'm not going to belabor this. Listen to the podcast. Look her up on 
YouTube. It's a great podcast. This brings us, though, to our text for today, which is Mark 6, 45 through 56. I'm going to read this. Uh, try to picture the scene, if you can. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. This is after feeding the 5,000, okay? So it's getting toward evening. And he makes them get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them shortly before dawn. Now picture this. In the evening, he sends them across the lake on a boat. They have been rowing all night because now it is shortly before dawn. Did you get that? Have you ever been rowing all night across a lake with the wind against you? It's choppy. I mean, there are probably white caps on the lake and these guys are in trouble. It says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. Now, I thought about this. This is the day before Halloween. Talk about a Halloween setting. These guys are seeing this, this guy walking on the lake and they think it's a ghost. Okay. It says that they thought it was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. <clears throat> okay, so they went across the lake to get away from the crowds that had gathered in the deserted place, right? So now they anchor at Gennesaret, verse 54. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Well, the picture I get is that these guys are exhausted, and they still haven't found any rest. So, uh, they're, they're in need of rest. I want to change the focus for, for a minute here. I want to back up and look at this one little phrase that says, shortly before dawn, he went out to them. Now, what has just happened? Jesus has sent them ahead on the lake in this boat. He stayed on land to pray. He went up on the mountain to pray. So he's up on top of the mountain. He can look down on the lake. And he sees them on the lake straining 
against the wind, straining with the oars, trying to oar against the wind, and they're not making any headway. And these guys are in trouble. And they've been doing this all night. Okay? All night. And so he sees that they're in trouble and he goes to them. This is what I want us to get. That Jesus goes to them because they are in trouble. Okay? I want us to look at another story in the scripture in Luke chapter 10. Verses 25 to 37. Now this is the story of the Good Samaritan. Now, if you've been in church very long, you've heard a sermon on the Good Samaritan, and you've probably read it for yourself in the scriptures. Let's read this. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? What, what is your reading of it? And he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, Who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, and he gives this parable. A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he had arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, Take care of him and whatever you, more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Now you'll, you'll notice it's a little hard to see on this, but I have highlighted four phrases in there. Now, the priest and the Levite, <clears throat> they're professional church workers. They're full-time ministry people, right? They're in full-time ministry. You would think if anybody would have had compassion on this poor guy on the side of the road that's been uh, accosted by thieves, and left half dead on the side of the road, that it would be these two guys, the priest and the Levite, who are in full-time ministry. Right? But it says there, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. Now, I want you to notice, by chance, a lot of people live life by chance. 
They're not on a mission. They're not on a journey. They have no purpose. They just go from situation they find themselves in to situation they find themselves in as they move on down the road through life. This priest and this Levite, it says, by chance, a certain priest came down that road. Like, why, why that road? I'm not sure he even knew why he was on that road. It says, by chance, he came down that road. And he happened to come across this guy, and he sees him on the side of the road, and he makes sure he passes by on the other side of the road. He might have even crossed the road to walk on the other sidewalk, so to speak. And then it says that the Levite, one word I highlighted up there, it says likewise, verse 32. Likewise. What does the likewise refer to? The by chance. Likewise, by chance, the Levite was in the, doing the same thing. Now, when you get down to verse 33, and it talks about the Samaritan, it says, as he journeyed. People that are on a journey have mapped it out. They do it with purpose and intention. You don't journey by accident. You journey on purpose, right? And so this guy had purpose, and he was on a journey, and it says he came to where this guy was, almost as if he knew ahead of time this guy was there. It says he came to where he was. He didn't stumble across this guy. He didn't happen upon this guy like the priest and the Levite did, it says as he journeyed, he came to where this guy was. And when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And he ministered to him. And he even paid for it. So, uh, Jesus, in telling this parable, <clears throat> answers this guy's question about who is my neighbor? And the guy says, and so Jesus puts the question back to him, well, which of these three was neighbor to the guy that fell among thieves? And he says, well, the guy that had compassion on him. He says, go and do likewise. This sermon series that we are in right now is about intention. We're to live life with intent. We're to journey. We're to be on the journey that God has marked out for us. What does your journey look like? Where are you in your journey? What are the elements of your journey? What have you learned? What are you discovering? What are you excited about? What do you regret? I mean, there... Life is full of wonderful, challenging things. But are you on a journey? Or are you stumbling from scenario to scenario because you're living life by chance, like the priest and the Levite? Or are you like the Samaritan who is on a journey with intent and purpose because you feel like God is in charge of your life and your 
living life with Him, and together you're making something out of this life, and you are living it with intent. Well, that would be my challenge to you this morning. Pray that one through, because I think that we're meant to be on a journey. And we should understand a little bit of what that journey is. That's not to say we understand it all, because it evolves. The journey evolves as we grow and change and discover uh, life, discover who we are, discover who God is, discover what the kingdom looks like, discover how we fit into that. Uh, it's all a wonderful experience, but live life with intent and purpose and look, purposefully look for those that you can go to who are in trouble. Jesus from the top of the mountain saw that the disciples were in trouble and he went to them. This Samaritan, while he was on a journey, came to this guy on the side of the road and ministered to him. Who does God want you to minister to? Who is God sending you to? You don't have to go to another country to be sent. You can go across the, across the street or next door to be sent. Who in your life needs encouragement? Who needs comfort? Who needs the gospel? Who needs a bill to be paid for them because they're out of money and their electricity is going to get shut off? Maybe that's how you minister to them. There are a thousand ways to minister to people. But who is God sending you to? And how can you minister to them? Thank you.